Welcome to the Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Friends, I have such good news for you today. What is it? (laughs) All right, just talk with someone next to you. What would you put in this blank? Good news that you would feel like, oh yeah, if somebody came to you and said, I got good news for you, what would you put in that blank that you would say, yes, that is definitely good news. That is what I wanted to hear today. Just take a minute with someone near you, you can throw it out. All right, I will interrupt your your, uh, discussions. You can continue those at the 30-minute party today. But man, uh, I mean, we're always looking for good news, right? In part because we're used to bad news. I mean, that just seems to be what feeds. The news cycle is bad news everywhere we look. Uh, Sometimes maybe we feel like people are delivering us not news, like great news, and then it's like, no, that's not relevant to me. (laughs) I don't need that. That's like not news. Someone shows up to your door with something all your neighbors are buying, and you're like, yeah, no, I don't need that. That's not relevant to me. (laughs) We're used to bad news, not news. And then sometimes even fake news, right? That can't be true, or I don't believe that anymore. And the truth is, that's not just in life. Sometimes we can even experience that in church. Perhaps for many of you, I know for many of my friends and neighbors and some of my family members who don't go to church anymore, who don't go, is because primarily what they get or what they got when they went was bad news. Kind of like calling your grandmother, like the first thing out of their mouth is, how come you don't come more often? How come you don't call me more often, right? Friends of mine are like, oh man, I don't go to church. Like the pastor or the priest just spends their half their sermon telling you why you should, why the, you should get there more often and how bad it is that most people don't come regularly and people don't pray or go to church anymore, or perhaps even more, um, you know, sort of hurtful. Many people have experienced church or the community of faith or pastors or priests or whatever, Uh, The news is bad news and to make you feel uh, ashamed uh, or um, unforgiven or somehow in a way that just sort of grinds you down. It's bad news. Uh, Others would say, yeah, it's more like not news. (laughs) Some of us perhaps grew up in religious circles or traditions or services where uh, it was in another language. It wasn't even a language we understood or (laughs) it was in English, but we didn't understand any of it. It's sort of like this is not relevant to my life. This is just not news. And then sadly, maybe most tragically, uh, many of us have experienced fake news in the community of faith or at church where maybe the message was good, but we found out later the messenger was not so good or not legitimate or it just didn't even seem like they were smoking what they were selling. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or we found out stuff in their lives later where like the messenger was fake. And even though the message was good, it ended up being fake news for us which is a tragedy because the people of faith are meant to be people of good news. Um, Some of you have Bibles where it says the good news Bible on it. A word you'll often hear associated with Christians uh, is the word gospel. And that word gospel means good news. Um, The four biographies of Jesus are referred to as gospels, the good news of Jesus. Part of the challenge, I wonder, if is, though, what we've said the good news is. 
and, and see if this kind of rings true for you. Uh, and certainly in the sort of the Christian tradition or the world of Christianity that I grew up in, in one sense, um, for many of us, we heard the good news like this. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And if you believe in him, as in you believe that, um, you will be saved. And when you die, you'll go to heaven. That's the gospel. That's the good news that many of us heard. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you believe in him and you believe in that, you'll be saved, which means you get to go to heaven when you die. Or we see billboards. If you died tonight, you know, where would you know where you'd be going? Or if you met God tomorrow after dying and he says, why would I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? Those are all kind of descriptions of what we have said or heard the good news is. And it is good news that Jesus has died for our sins. It is good news that we have a new life in Christ that we will get to experience in heaven someday, one day. But in many ways, I would submit to you that the good news is not good enough. And here's why. Because if all it does is just sort of free me from my past and, and give me no fear about when I die or what's on the other side of death, in large part, it leaves me unchanged and unengaged today right? Un, un, and so you end up with unchanged, unengaged Christians and therefore an uninterested world in the good news, right? Because if the good news is just, oh, I'm free from my past and I don't have to be afraid when I die. And now today, everyday life, I just live however I want to live. Try to be a good person. <laughs> Try not to screw up or invalidate the get out of hell free card that Jesus gave me or something like that. But largely I am unchanged and I'm not going to engage in the world because, you know what, like, it's, it's, it's about heaven someday, one day. Why rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic? It's all going down anyway. Uninterest, or unengaged, unchanged Christians, and therefore a world that is uninterested in the good news. And so I would submit to you, if, if that's all the good news is, that Jesus died on the cross of your sins so you're forgiven from your past and you don't have to fear for your future, it's not good enough. <laughs> and the good news I have for you today is, not from me, from Jesus and the writers of Scripture is, the good news is far better than that. It's so much more than just that. Why do I bring this up today? We're in a series where we're exploring our vision statement, Deep Faith, Wide Embrace. This is us. What does it mean to be this kind of a church? And you may be asking this if you're new to faith, you're exploring faith, saying, well, what is this all about? If you're new to our church or new in the last little while, many of you have joined sort of during the pandemic and, and post-pandemic and saying, okay, yeah, what kind of faith community? I know this is a church. What kind of church is this? How do you live your lives as this community of faith? And if you're a part of this family, if this is home, if, this, if you're woodwork, if this is family, to be reminded, yeah, this is me, this is us. It's also an interesting time to be talking about this because we are in the season of Lent, uh, as we heard earlier today, that we're heading towards Easter weekend, the highest point of the Christian calendar and the center of Christian faith. And what does it mean? <laughs> what is the good news that we celebrate at Easter, that it's so much more than perhaps we thought it was, which means that's really good. So where do we go with that? Um, I guess the starting point would be, well, what did Jesus say the good news was? What did the writers of his gospel, his good news biographies, what did the writers of scripture say the good news is? Because that's the starting point for us. What's interesting is if you look in the biographies of Jesus, you'll find that the word uh, saved or salvation occurs about 46 times. But there's another word in the gospels that occurs almost three times as often as that. Uh, which Jesus talked directly about as it relates to the good news. 
In fact, at the beginning of Matthew's biography, Jesus said this, or it said this about him, from that time on, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then in verse 23, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. The good news of the kingdom. This is the gospel that Jesus preached, and it says he went everywhere preaching it. That word kingdom occurs over 120 times in the gospels, in the biographies of Jesus. And in fact, not only do we see um, that Matthew in this account saying Jesus went everywhere saying repent, which means change your mind, change your way of thinking about God's kingdom, or he preached the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. In the book of Acts, it says Peter and Paul and the apostles, the founders of the church, went everywhere talking about the kingdom. It says at one point, Paul spent three months in a place arguing persuasively or helping, trying to convince people or bringing a message of the kingdom of God and of Jesus. I mean, if the gospel is just Jesus died on the cross for your sins, if you believe in him, you get to go to heaven one day. You don't need three months to say that. <laughs> what was he taking so long to explain? What, why was Jesus bringing this as good news everywhere he went? Jesus talked about it. The gospel writers write about it. The early church preached about it all the time. And quite frankly, you and I, and I would say for many years of my life, have no idea what the kingdom meant. What does that mean? What is the good news of the kingdom? That's not a word we often associated with gospel, with good news. In part, because the connotation of the word kingdom, you know, brings up things like um, thrones and castles and armies and land and geography, right? Of, of uh, days gone by, the medieval era or some movies we watch or something like that, which at best is kind of like not news, like meh, irrelevant to us. At worst, it's bad news. We'd say, oh yeah, this is what's wrong with religion and even the history of Christianity, right? Is bloodshed, holy wars, killing in the name of. This is the history of the church and this is the kingdom stuff, land, armies, thrones. This is what's wrong with religion. And that's where for many people, they sort of checked out or got off the train. In one sense, for um, Jesus followers, this was not, uh, this was kind of what would have been in their mind as well. They lived in a world of thrones and armies. In fact, Israel, Jesus' own people, their best days were when King David was their king, who was um, uh, an incredible uh, warrior and had an army and had a throne and had a capital city and was able to defend the city from uh, all the other armies and nations that were trying to take them over. And so those were the best years of their lives. Those were the things that they remembered and said, oh yeah, that, those were the good old days. But that had long been in their past. Centuries had passed and they had been now ruled by one kingdom after another. And now eventually they were under the rule of the empire, the, the, the greatest kingdom. Caesar himself was considered Lord and, and proclaimed as Lord in that place, King, Lord, Emperor. And they were under the thumb, under the heel, the crushing weight of the Roman Empire. And so um, when they hear Jesus starting to talk about kingdoms, that's what they're, they're coming to mind is great. We're going to overthrow the empire. We're going to get back to the good old days. We're going to get our kingdom back. We're going to get our, our economy back. We're going to get our ethnic and religious identity back. And so people were listening intently saying, who is this man? He's a revolutionary. What is he a king? 
what kind of kingdom? He's talking about kingdom all the time. What kind of kingdom is this? What kind of king is this? And that's a good question. What is the good news of the kingdom? What is the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed? The answer actually is really, really good news. But we're going to sort of zoom out first, have a kind of a big picture of the kingdom, and then zoom in to a, a small passage where Jesus explains in detail to his disciples in a way that helped them understand, what does this mean for you today in your life? What does this mean today for me in my life? And for the zoom out picture, we're going to obviously go to our friends from the Bible Project in this short video that explains what was the good news of the kingdom that Jesus and the early church proclaimed. And so I want you to watch this kind of big picture on it, and then we're going to talk about it together. If you know any Christians, or if you happen to be one, you've probably heard the word gospel as a kind of summary of Christian belief, connected to phrases like, God loves you, or Jesus died for your sins. But over time, religious words like gospel can lose their power and meaning by becoming too familiar. So let's take a moment to rediscover what this important word, gospel, meant to the people who wrote the Bible. Gospel translates the Old Testament Hebrew verb, biser, and the noun, besorah. The Greek New Testament equivalent is euangelion, which is a compound word. Eu means good, and angelion means announcement. All of these words mean good news, but what kind of news? Well, in Hebrew, Biser is what we might call national news, or a royal announcement. Like when King David hears a messenger, Biser, that his army was victorious in battle. That means he still rules on his throne over the people of Israel. And after David dies, his throne is passed on to Solomon, his son. And when he was inaugurated as king in Jerusalem, a herald spreads the Besorah, that a new ruler is in charge. But after Solomon's death came a bunch of bad news kings, whose corruption led their nation into self-destruction. This is why the prophet Isaiah announced the good news that one day the God of Israel would come as the cosmic king to confront all corrupt and violent kingdoms and restore his rule over all nations. And so, when Jesus of Nazareth hit the public stage, he continued Isaiah's gospel when he went around announcing the euangelion of God's kingdom. Jesus claimed that God was restoring his reign over his people Israel and over all nations, and he was the one bringing it all about. Now, the euangelion about a new king in charge means a new way of life. Jesus said that living in God's kingdom meant following him by putting down the sword and seeking peace through radical forgiveness and generosity, even toward your enemies. His good news required people to make a decision. This is why Jesus took his euangelion to Jerusalem to confront the corrupt and violent kingdoms of his day. But he challenged them in a surprising way with the power of God's generous love. As Jesus was being executed by his enemies, he received his crown and was mocked as a fake king. But he displayed true royal authority by forgiving his tormentors. Jesus was the one in charge that day, giving his life for the sins of others. And then, a few days later, everything changed. Jesus rose from the dead as the true king, whose love is stronger than death. He appeared to hundreds of his followers and told them to spread the euangelion. 
that all authority in heaven on earth now belongs to him. And they did share this good news all over the ancient world. They did it by writing the four accounts of Jesus' life that are the gospel. That is, they tell the story of how Jesus brought God's kingdom, how he lived for others and died for their sins, and then was raised from the dead. Jesus' followers also shared the good news by simply talking about it. This is why Peter and Paul, or Priscilla and Aquila, traveled all around sharing the royal announcement. While it might look like the rulers of our world are in charge and can do whatever they want, the good news is that the crucified and risen Jesus is the true Lord of the world, the real king of all creation. And in Jesus' kingdom, things are different. It's where the real leaders are the servants because the last are first and the first go to the back of the line. It's where the hungry are fed and the homeless are welcome because love is the most powerful reality of God's kingdom. And this good news is not easy to believe. It actually sounds kind of crazy when you first hear it, but something happens when people tell the story of Jesus and start living like he really is the king of the world. That's when this gospel becomes the best news that you've ever heard. So that is like a zoomed out picture of the good news of the kingdom. It's zoomed out in, in one sense, I don't know if you caught that in the video, but the kingdom is everything that Jesus taught. Everything that Jesus did, everything that he said, his death and his resurrection were all part of the kingdom. Um, in a sense, it, it was everything. Uh, and so that's kind of the zoomed out picture. So I'm curious to just to give you a couple of minutes with somebody near you or a couple of people around you. And if you're sitting on your own, maybe you just want to move close to somebody for this. As you kind of reflected on that video, as you watched that and that that picture of what the good news of the kingdom is, um, talk about this. What aspects of that um, are, are good and inspiring for you? Or what aspects do you find perhaps difficult and confusing? Like if this is the picture of the kingdom, um, as you watched that video, what was good and inspiring? What was maybe confusing or difficult for you? So just take a few minutes with the people around you and chat about that.
All right, uh, if I can gently interrupt your uh, conversations. You know, as I reflected on that description, um, you know, which I think is really faithful to the biblical text and certainly how the gospel writers and Jesus in the book of Acts talk about the kingdom, <laughs> what I think is both good and inspiring and difficult is the fact that it refers to a whole way of life. Right? What's, what's inspiring and beautiful about it is it's a whole new life. Like not just freedom from my past and hope for my future, but it changes my life today. This is amazing. A new life now. And yet that's difficult. It's like, man, my life's going to change. My life now is going to change. This isn't just, oh, I don't feel guilty anymore for my past. I feel forgiven. Oh, I don't feel afraid of my future anymore. Now my life's going to change. This actually changes everything. It's what prompted the Apostle Paul just a few years later as he was writing a letter to the church in Corinth to say this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. See, the new life we have in Christ, according to the good news of the kingdom, that's why Jesus said, repent change your ways, change your mind now, begin to live a new life. Um, uh, the late author and um, Professor Dallas Willard put it this way. He said, the gospel is not so much about getting us into heaven, but about getting heaven into us, right? This, this kingdom way of life, getting that into us, as Paul says, the new life has begun, Heaven has begun. That's why Jesus kept saying the kingdom of God is at hand, or he said it's here, or it's in you. It's starting now. It changes everything. So then I was thinking, okay, well, what? Like, how we, what exactly? Like, we need something tangible, even uh, like in the message like this. Like, what is the kingdom? How could I describe it? What? And to be honest, I struggled to think about one passage because so much, almost everything that Jesus said and did in his death and resurrection is about the kingdom. I mean, it took Jesus three years <laughs> to explain it and teach it. I'm not going to do it in 30 minutes, but where could we start? And so I just prayed and I said, Lord, what, what passage do we want to get to today? And I want you to listen um, to this section from one of uh, the biographers of Jesus, Luke, that he writes and records. Luke wasn't one of the 12, but he has a source, uh, we think, Mark as his eyewitness, uh, possibly Peter, who was there, um, who described this conversation that Jesus had with his disciples and around the Last Supper, sort of the night before he died, um, near the end of his three years with them. And the conversation is all about the kingdom. And I want you to listen as it's read for us. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves." This conversation that Jesus has with his disciples at the Last Supper, in one sense, it's, it's an isolated conversation about something that was happening at that meal. But in another sense, it it's kind of echoes um, the, the most repeated theme, I think, or the nature, the character of what Jesus was trying to explain to them the kingdom of God was and what it meant for him to be the king of this new kingdom. 
um, and, and it's kind of coming near the end of his three years with them. And it echoes themes that have repeated many times through the Gospels and through the teachings of Jesus. Uh, it's, it's easy to think, you know, so they're having this meal and, and it says the disciples start to argue with like, who is the greatest in the kingdom? <laughs> Um, which can sound just like sort of an immature spat. But uh, we have to actually put ourselves in their shoes. Like they uh, were people for three years had been hearing about um, this, this teaching of the kingdom and, and anticipating this new kingdom. And they were the inner circle. Um, more than that, they had spent their entire lives under the thumb, under the crushing weight of the empire of Rome, where they had been on the wrong end of the kingdom for so many years. All of their families would have suffered greatly, um, either physical pain or just the incredible uh, financial burden of having to give away almost 95% of your earnings to this empire that used the money you gave them to employ the army that oppressed you. I mean, it was terrible for them. So when news of this kingdom, and now they were starting to see, and, and they had witnessed not just the teaching of Jesus, but his power in miracles and casting out demons and raising dead people and healing sick people, they're thinking, okay, this is a real revolution. This is our chance to be a part of the kingdom coming back to us. And we are the inner circle. I mean, who knew? We were, most of them were fishermen or whatever. They all had different types of jobs. We're going to be in the inner circle. And so they're thinking, this is great. We're going to benefit from the power and privilege, whatever that's finally ours again. We're coming back to us and to our families. This is going to be great for our families. This is going to be great for us. And so they're starting to have a discussion, a bit of an argument over who is the greatest. One commentator said, it's interesting because in this same conversation, Jesus had talked about how Judas, one of the 12, was going to betray him to his death. But the commentator notes that in another sense, all of them were betraying him by this conversation. By the fact that they were arguing over who was the greatest in the kingdom, it was betraying the fact that they had not really paid attention to anything Jesus had said to them or modeled for them in the last three years. And so he zeroes in on this conversation. He doesn't just say to them, guys, stop fighting. He uses this conversation to reiterate something he had been saying over and modeling over and over and over. He says, listen, I know that the power, the kingdoms you see uh, all around you, this is, and he doesn't trash any one particular king. He's not calling out somebody. He's just saying, I understand this is how power works in the world around you. And he says, look it, I know the kings of the Gentiles or the world that you live in. He says two things about them. They lord their power over others and they call themselves benefactors. He says, I know this is the way that power or kingship or kingdom is handled in this world. What does he mean by that? They lord power over and they call themselves benefactors. The, the word Lord there uh, doesn't just mean to, like, they call themselves role. Uh, uh, it's not a title. It wasn't a noun. It was a verb, he's saying in that. They, they, the, the word actually means to seize or to grasp or to hold or to use power. So he says, I understand that the, the kings of this world, this is what they seize power. They try to get power. They try to gain more power, and they use it for their advantage. I understand that. That's just the way that that works. This is a powering up kind of attitude that they want to get power, they want to hold on to it, seize it, use it for their advantage. And he says they call themselves benefactors. Now, benefactors in that culture and society were people who had wealth and power and gave it to the citizens. Um, there are, were times when the empire was underfunded, <laughs> and so then the, the emperor would go to some of these wealthier people and say, hey, can you help? Can you fund this? Can you rebuild this part of the city? Can you help with such and such in the empire? 
And these people were happy to do it because it meant that they would then be owed by the emperor. It meant that they would kind of be owed by the people they helped. And it meant that, that they would be popular in the eyes of the people. They would be seen as generous, as good. They would be voted again into office or they, wherever role of prominence they had. And so he says that the lording is this, this using and seizing power. The benefaction is saying, I get to keep popularity. I get to keep my power. I get to be owed. It's still working towards what I get. <laughs> Essentially, Jesus says the goal of power and the way kings work in this world, the goal is to gain and keep power for one's own benefit. This is just the way it works. And he's like, I understand that's what you see. I understand that's what you think kingdom is, which is why you're arguing over who's going to grasp or get the most power in my kingdom. But this is not the way it's going to be with you, he says. I understand that's the norm. It's not going to be that way with you. Why? Because <laughs> he says, I'm not that kind of king. That's not the kind of king I am. He says, I am among you as one who serves. I'm among you as one who serves. He sets up this thing. He says, listen, I understand, and we all know, he says, like, and, and he's using the context of a meal where they've just been. And he says, like, who's, you know, like, I know there's people in power, and the people in power, it's better to be in power. It's better to, right, be served by a servant than to be a servant, right? Like, even at a meal we just had, who's more powerful? The servant who brings the food or the person who's sitting at the table being served by the servant? Rhetorical question. Of course, the one who's sitting at the table is better off. But I am among you, or my posture with you, or my role here is as one who serves. We know actually from the other accounts of the Last Supper, up to this point, Jesus has already washed their feet which was something a servant would do. And this, this word diakonos, when he says, I'm among you as a diakonos, a servant, was not a positive word in Greco-Roman culture. Um, it was usually associated with women or slaves. Menial tasks, work that a man or a man of status or a free man would never do. Certainly not a lord, certainly not a king. And Jesus says, I know the way you see power handled, but that's not how it's going to be in this kingdom because that's not the kind of king I am. As you have seen, and not just from this meal, guys, you've watched my life for three years. You know that I am among you or my posture or my role is of the lowest as the servant. It was his way of saying again what he had taught and demonstrated for three years that greatness, leadership, power in my kingdom comes from being the servant of all. That is the posture and role of the kingdom. On one level, we go, oh, that's inspiring. It's beautiful to see someone with power act like that. But to the ears of the disciples, it would have been scandalous. It's like, wait a second. We've been on the wrong end of this power equation our whole lives. Our people have been on the wrong end of this power equation for 400 years. We are the ones who the Gentile kings have lorded power over. We are the ones who owe them. We are the ones who have been used and taken advantage of. And now you're saying you want us to use power when we're finally going to get it to serve them 
and everyone? <laughs> it didn't make any sense to them. It was not anything they understood. And in fact, they go on to completely reject it because what Jesus was going to do next was going to ultimately demonstrate his way of serving others was to die, to lay down his life for his friends. And they were going to run away because they didn't understand it. They didn't want any part of it. They did not see that this is what the kingdom was about. Jesus was about to lay down his life. And yet, what happened after, right? Jesus' death and resurrection, what we celebrate on Easter weekend, becomes the enactment and proof that the least really do become the greatest. That's actually what we're celebrating. We talk about Easter weekend as the good news. We don't just mean Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and then you're going to have new life one day in heaven. We don't just mean that. It's good news because it shows that the least will be the greatest, that those who are willing to lose their life, as Jesus said, will gain it, that the one who gave the ultimate sacrifice the greatest king of all allowed himself to be killed by the ones he was saving, and God raised him from the dead to prove. It was the enactment and proof that the least really do become the greatest. He was going to show them, that's what my kingdom is about. Man, this is good news <laughs> that we have a king like that. But it's hard news because we're invited to live in a kingdom like that. And so I wanted to just take a moment as we come to the end of this, as we're grappling with this, that this is the good news. This is the life, the new life that we have that we're invited to live, to do uh, a power audit <laughs> in our own lives. None of us are kings and we don't have thrones, but power is a common thing in our world and in our lives. And I want to give you a chance to just take an audit of like, you know, when Jesus says, I am among you as, who are you among <laughs> What does your life look like now? And so I'm just going to give you a couple minutes, and I'm going to give you some questions to reflect on. Here's the first question. In what areas of my life do I feel rich or strong or powerful? And I put those in quotes because those can mean different things. But, for example, when it comes to my finances in the area of wealth, do I feel rich, strong, powerful? Or perhaps in your friendships, the kind of popularity you have in school or in your neighborhood or even in, the, in our faith community, the friendships that you have. Do you feel rich? Do you feel strong? Do you feel powerful? Perhaps in the role or title that you have. Maybe in your health. Are you strong, powerful, healthy? Or what about your intellect? Do you feel successful, capable, good marks, degrees, someone who's considered smart or wise in your workplace or in your family? In what of these areas do you feel rich or strong or powerful? And ask yourself this question, who might Jesus be asking me to serve with these riches or strength? Just ask him to bring to mind a face or a name. Chances are we don't feel rich or strong or powerful in all those areas, but in the areas we do, 
who might Jesus be asking me to serve with those riches, with that strength? And whether he's brought anyone specific to mind or not, just take a moment under your breath and just ask Jesus to give you his power <laughs> through his spirit to be able to do this. Now let's ask ourselves this question. In which of these areas do I feel poor or weak? Or powerless? Is it in my finances? The wealth I don't feel like I have? Is it in popularity or friendships? That I don't have many or any or enough. In my role or my title or lack of role or title? Perhaps in my health, I feel weak or powerless. Or maybe in my intellect, in what I think about myself, how smart I am or not, what kind of education I have or not, or how others perceive me. Do I feel poor or weak or powerless? Ask yourself this question, what do I need Jesus to help me accept? Right, so often we're trying to just get out of feelings of weakness, powerlessness, or poverty. We just want to change the situation. We just want him to fix it. We don't, we hate feeling like that. What do I need to accept? If this is really the way the kingdom is, that those who are the least are the greatest, that those who are the weakest are the strongest, that those who are the poorest are rich. Okay, what do I need to accept about my poverty, about my weakness, about my powerlessness? And then ask Jesus to show you where he is at work in this place. If he is among us as one who serves, whether we are rich or poor, powerful or powerless, strong or weak, Jesus is there. He is at work in those places. And friends, this is the great irony. <laughs> that those of us who have power or strength or wealth in some way, not only are we invited to give it away to others because they need it, it's as we give it away, as we make ourselves less rich, less powerful, less strong, we find Jesus. Because Jesus says, that's where I am. I am with the servants. I am with the weak. I am with the powerless. <laughs> we give away what we have in order to find him more, in order to become closer to him. Wealth is not evil. Power is not evil. Strength is not evil. <laughs> but when we use it in the service of others, we find Jesus in that place. And then for those of us that feel like we just want to get, we hate feelings of weakness, weakness powerlessness, um, poverty. Who likes that? Nobody does. But in the very place or situation we're trying to get rid of or get out of <laughs> is the place where we find our king. And friends, that is good news. <laughs>